The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Aarons-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever, the show that looks at the intersection of mental health and work, and how we can all do both better. Newsflash, you're not the only one feeling really burnt out. Chances are your boss and your HR team are feeling it too. All of us just, you know, I, I've been calling it not burnt out, but burnt crispy. It's like we just don't have, we don't, we don't have anything. There's nothing to squeeze. Just, you know, we're moving forward. That's the voice of Daisy Oje Dominguez, my guest today. She's Chief People Officer at Vice Media Group, an author and a longtime HR leader. Daisy points out it's hard for everyone right now. She recently returned from vacation to two resignations on her team, both because of burnout. Usually my team comes to me to be their cheerleader, right? They're, you know, they're the person that's gonna, you know, imbibe them with the energy. And I had to have a, a real moment of pause and say, you know, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I can't motivate you or her to do anything different other than just facing what our truths are. Daisy's priority as an HR manager is the wellness of her workers. And sometimes, especially in hard times, that means letting people, encouraging people even, to walk away. For many of us, the pace of work, it's not going to get slower anytime soon. And Daisy worries about how market forces might upend us once again. After following this big moment of renegotiation, the last two years of employees finding their voices and making their demands be heard, now we're in the space where leaders are going, "Mm, wait a second, the market's softer. I don't need to retain you as much because there's a healthier talent market out there. So I'm going to not take care of you the way that I've been saying I'm going to take care of you. I spoke with Daisy about where workers and leaders are right now and how mental health is or isn't top of mind. What's your advice for a manager who might be sitting down with someone who says, I can't do this anymore, who's suffering from burnout? You know, it's, I don't know any manager who hasn't had someone say that to them in the last two years. I'll start with that. And or who hasn't felt it themselves, which is even more powerful, right? Because you're, you're the one that has to, you know, get up every day and model for folks what it looks like. And you're, you know, if you don't have it, then it's painful. You know, it, it's also become increasingly up to, HR teams in the past couple of years to heed the calls of employees who are suffering the surging rates of burnout. And it comes from mental health. It comes from childcare options not being available. It, it comes from work overload. It comes from all of those pieces. And, you know, the first step is, you know, I mean, this is just very basic human responses. It's, you know, it's just listen, really, really get to the root cause of what's happening, right? Because sometimes, Right. Is it the workload? Is it family? Is it, you know, is it your relationships with your coworkers? And sometimes it's a combination of all of those. Right. But, you know, what is the true root cause of what's happening? And, and to get to that 
first of all, there has to be trust with your manager, right? And and that like you don't build trust the minute that something you know has you know has hit the fan, if you will, right? Like that's trust is consistency over time. You have to build that relationship so that your team is coming to you not when they're at the end of their rope, but that you are watching for those signals and listening and engaging so that you are creating those preemptive solutions whenever possible. But when and if you're at that place of I'm done, you know, and I had the first case of long COVID in in my company, and it was someone on my team, a young, brilliant young woman. And, you know, she was out for several months and we negotiated for her to come back part-time to ease her way into it. And, you know, during a leave of absence, you you know, you're not really supposed to be speaking to the employee because obviously they're supposed to be on their on their time off. But during it, you know, I I would send her notes of support and just letting her know how much both we missed her, but we were able to do okay without her. Cause I didn't want to I didn't want her to feel the pressure, you know, having to come back. And when she was, she felt somewhat ready to come back, she came and Maura, she lasted less than a week. And the stress was getting too much to her. And she called me in tears. And I said, that's it. Here, you, I'm going to give you a week and a half, right? You you will get paid through the next week. We'll figure out the right comms for the team. And your team knows what's going on. But we've exerted every available option to get you to come here. And just as you need your health, I also need a viable person running this team. And so, you know, like, let's find what the right solution is for us. And we were able to have that conversation because we we spent months building that relationship. It wasn't me, you know, being the abusive manager of going like, well, you decide today or tomorrow because I need a manager for this team, right? And it also wasn't her, you know, trying to one-up the company. It was really both of us getting to a place of, ah, this just, this is not going to work. And that takes those conversations. That takes also that creativity in thinking about what's the right solution that is also not going to overburden the rest of the team because, Part of what I also, you know, we have to remember, this is our responsibility as as managers and leaders. I'm responsible for you, the person I'm talking to, and then I'm responsible for 80 other people. And I have to make sure that I am not making a decision now that is going to disproportionately impact their experience. So you have to think about that. You have to also think about, and this, I was having this conversation with, with one of my team leaders today, the contagion that happens when people start quitting. Everyone starts quitting, right? Just if for no other reason going like, I'm just going to do it, right? There's, there's research that, there's research that, you know, it's, I've, I've been reading everything impossible I could this past year. And there's research that shows that a lot of people quit out of sort of this contagion of, I'm just tired, I'm exhausted, and I'm just going to quit. But let's not forget, a lot of people left, not for other jobs. A lot of people just left, <laughs> left the workforce. They were just, they're done. Of the two people who quit today, one person is quitting and not going anywhere. That to me, I mean, you don't need an exit interview for that. Right? You're, you're like, you're like, okay, that's incredibly telling. So anyway, so to, to answer your question more succinctly, it's it's both you've got to have been, been building this relationship all along in order to be able to respond as thoughtfully and as decisively as possible, and that has to happen before that moment. But it sounds like also you knew your boundaries. You were able to say, "I'm here for you." But I also need to take care of the team. And this is what I have to protect. And that, you know, that's that's been really hard for managers in this past two years because 
there's this guilt of that I'm going to come off as being cruel. Oh, I'm going to be canceled, right? <laughs> there was just never for, you know, that, that concern of, well, I'll be canceled. The minute I do this, then this is going to be a tweet, Daisy, and someone's going to do this. And, you know, my ongoing advice was, you know, at the end of the day, not taking action is irresponsible of you. And not doing what you're supposed to be doing for both that person and the rest of your team is not leading, is not managing. And so you've got to also own up to the role that you have and, and be able to speak to it, right? I think for a lot of managers, it was, this was the first time that people were articulating what their real responsibility was, right? Like this is, you know, you have, this is my responsibility. We used to use the three C's. This was, I got from a, um, a McKinsey study of, you know, what we want from managers is competence, confidence, and is compassion. These are the three skills. But what we, I think, undervalued for a long time was that those three competencies have not really been coached and trained for many people. And so, <laughs> you know, it's not, yeah, you know, just like, wait, you're asking me to be all, th- like, I have to be, you you know, I have to be competent, which means that I need to know what the heck I'm doing in a world where everything is changing and there's no rule book for anything. I need to be confident in front of my team that even when I don't know what I don't know, and I say this to my team all the time, I was like, listen, I'm going to be incredibly vulnerable with you. I don't know what's going to happen. But here's what I know, right? And so I am applying my decision making, you know, to my, you know, I am, I'm applying from my experience, what I know today. That is why I'm applying to making decisions for this team. And, you know, and I am sharing this with you so that you feel a sense that I am competent and confident enough to make these decisions. And I am applying compassion in terms of, you know, meeting you where you're at as much as I can, but also knowing that I can't. I can't give you everything that you want. I can give you some of what you want, but you're not always going to get everything that you want. And we're going to have to be okay with that. Let's flip the question from the director's chair in HR. If I'm an employee who's thinking, I really need a break, but I'm scared to ask, or I I don't want to be dinged. I don't want to let go, but I really need a break. How do you set yourself up for success in that conversation with your manager or with HR? You know, it helps to be a good performer. <laughs> quite, quite frankly, I mean, I, you know, I can't, I can't lie about that. You know, when you are a good performer, when you are someone who has demonstrated steady performance and behavior and engagement in an organization, you know, I, I find that a lot of people are surprised by how much an organization is willing to create the space for them to find what they need. And, I, and I'll say this, this, this one individual who wanted to quit because of burnout. After I heard everything, you know, that they were going through, I, I asked her manager, I was like, have you considered, you know, if she needs a three to four week break? I think you and I can, you know, you and I can pick up what needs to happen in those three to four weeks. Yes. And let's offer her that. And a lot of people don't ask for what they need, right? Because we're, we're afraid of doing that. And we're afraid that doing that at a time when there's such scarcity and resources and in time and attention that we can't do that. But one, one of the first things I always tell people is like, ask for what you need, right? Before you come and get to that place of complete exhaustion and depletion, right? Because that's what burnout is, is depletion. Ask for what you need along the way. Do you need, you know, that extra Wednesday off? Do you have, I have a very strong performer on my team that couldn't find childcare for her kids in the city. And she has a home in the Poconos and she got very you know, affordable childcare for her kids. And she's like, I'm going to spend the, this month of August in 
the Poconos easy. Is that okay? And I was like, you need that. You need that for your well-being and for your kids. That's okay. Because I know she's going to come back in September and she's going to do her job in the office. Uh, you know, she's hybrid. <laughs> but she's going to do her job two to three days a week. And I know that she's going to perform. And much more, I know that I have a team leader that is not just a, a strong performer, but it, that it will have more loyalty and more connection to the business because I was able to acquiesce to something that's frankly not a sacrifice, right? So, so I do think that we need to ask for those things before we get to that moment of depletion, if we can. If we can. I mean, I was going to say that takes some level of sort of her being self-aware and her sitting down with herself and thinking, okay, this is, this is almost teetering on unmanageable. Like, what can I ask for? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is, again, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan and that's, you know, I, I, I just, you know, wrote my book, Inclusion Revolution, precisely for managers because I do fundamentally believe that it's a manager's role to create that, that sense of psychological safety mm-hmm. in a team. Mm-hmm. It is nobody else's responsibility but yours. I have very little sympathy from, for managers that complain about employees not sharing or not engaging when they didn't create the conditions for them to be able to engage and, and share what they needed. What if I'm listening to this and I'm a manager and I'm like, oh, this sounds really good, but I don't know if I know how to do this to your competence. Where do I start? You start by sharing. You start by sharing your own concerns, right? You know, uh, one example, and I never knew this term actually before I came to Vice, but the, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the term Sunday scaries, right? The night before Sunday <laughs> and everyone just feeling overwhelmed to start work, especially after a long holiday break. And I remember someone mentioning that to me and I said, you know, I don't get Sunday scaries because my Sundays is when I spend my time reflecting on the week and I write a note to my team every Sunday. And I've been doing that since I joined FICE and it was my way of connecting with the team. And in those Sunday notes, I, I share real vulnerable and humble moments of what scares me, right? Of, you know, parenting a teenage kid, right? Um, you know, managing the pandemic. But when I share those moments, people have an opportunity to share similar feelings. And you address elephants in the room that are not just your own, but that are the experience of others. And when you share those experiences, you give everyone on your team a bit more room to breathe and be a little bit more human, right? And so leading with authenticity makes such a difference and for a lot of people, it makes them feel very vulnerable. I always tell them, you know, my favorite quote to share with new managers is that my vulnerability does not make me weaker. It makes me a better leader and manager. Mm-hmm. Because when I share that, guess what? I create space for other people to actually share their own humanity and vulnerability. And so that's how you do it. And it, and it's, you don't have to write a Sunday note. Right? It can simply be starting your team meetings. I start all of my, I have an HR leadership team meeting every other week. And I start all of them with a different question. I call them my, my little reflection prompts. And they're random questions like, when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up, <laughs> right? <laughs> to, you know, the last one that we did a couple of months ago was about, you know, what's your favorite summer memory and what are you looking forward to most this summer? There, there are little moments like that, but those moments create moments of connection and mm-hmm. shared experience that allows as a team, not only for me to get to know the rest of my team better, but for all of them to get to know each other and to be able to know that they can rely on each other and ask each other because they're human 
like the other ones, right? Like they're, they're experiencing the scaries in different ways. And so that, that my advice is always that it's like you have moment, you have a moment every single day to build connection with your team, build it. What does HR want managers to know about handling mental health challenges <sighs> with their employees? This is heavy stuff. Yeah. For many people, it's new. But what does HR want managers to know? You know, we want them to know that they don't have to have all the answers, mm-hmm. that they're experts in the organization. Hopefully you work for an organization when you have a benefits leader or, you know, if you're particularly lucky, you have someone that specializes in mental wellness. The advice that I give managers all the time is you don't have to have every answer, but you have to show compassion for your team mm. and you have to help them find the resources. And that's where we come in. <laughs> this is, this is why I say, I was like, it's, you know, it's, so it's, this is a relay race. I was like, you know, you took the first leg, let us take the second leg of this. And, and that, that, by the way, is part of what has created a, a much deeper level of complexity for the HR function in the last couple of years. But I have experts on my team that mm-hmm. deal. And if they don't, have the expertise, they know where to find the right resources, right? We have an employee assistance program. We have access to coaches. We have that and we can help you find the right solutions for your team. So the first thing is to recognize that mental well-being is important. It's just not a fad. It's not something that's a light thing that people are just claiming. And, you know, we're a youth media company, so we have predominantly you know, Gen Zers and millennials. And this is language that they're very comfortable with. But I also have managers who are Gen Xers who are like, wait, like, is this a thing, Daisy? I was like, yeah, it's a thing. (laughs) We were raised that way. I was like, it's a thing. It's real. It's called caring. (laughs) And, and it's called, let's, let's figure out what the right resources and support are for you. Mm. And, and let's also be able to differentiate what is, mental well-being and you know and and support that is needed and performance and that's really hard for a lot of individuals because also historically and I, i'm curious if it's changed during the pandemic all those services at companies like eap mm-hmm. and finding benefits were very underutilized i think mm-hmm. because people were scared that they would get dinged by their manager if they admitted to stuff. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many meetings I have to go to to remind people that it is confidential. You're absolutely right. You're Mm. so right, Maura. I write emails globally to employees reminding them about our EAP program almost every other month. Sadly, in the last couple of years, because of all the crises that have happened and after, you know, Asian hate, Muslim hate, black I mean, you name it. Every single time that a moment like that would come up and unfortunately there were more than you know we can count we would send reminders to our employees about our EAP and you're absolutely right the, the utilization has increased but it is still not as high as I would expect it you know a big piece of our business is our news teams and mm-hmm. I mean you you've never you haven't lived until you've you've managed a, a news team um, and you know and but they ask the most poignant and thoughtful questions and I'll tell you this I was on an all, at an all hands a very well-produced all hands because that's how our teams operate. And so we, I was being interviewed by one of our journalists about hmm. our mental health and well-being benefits. And one of the questions he asked me more, I was exactly that. He's like, how can I trust that you're going to not use that against me? Yes. You know, and I, I looked him in, in the eye and I, and I said, I was like, 
we're going to have to have that mutual trust because I don't know how else to tell you that this, this benefit is created specifically. The reason why your manager doesn't know when you take a leave of absence, you know, for what reasons you're taking it or what other benefits you're taking is because we protect your confidentiality above all. And if you can't trust me saying that as I'm looking you straight in the eye, then I can't do anything else for you other than that. <laughs> I was like, that, that's it. And then the second question he asked me, which cracked me up was, well, how can I trust that you're, what you're doing is not for the sake of the company versus the employees? Mm. And my response to him was, like you, I work for the company. <laughs> so both you and I, actually, you're not that different from I. <laughs> both you and I work for this company and our responsibility, yes, is for the organization. My role, my specific role is to create conditions for employees to thrive in this organization. And part of that means creating conditions for them to be healthy and to feel safe and to have access to the benefits that they deserve and that they are, you know, that they are that is part of being an employee of the organization. That has to be a constant reminder. You know, we have confidentiality channels for employees, also for complaints. That's another mm. area where employees have not trusted their organizations. And by the way, Maura, for for good reason, right? Companies yes. have, you know, have abused that benefit in the past. But I will tell you, and this is something that I feel really strongly and that I'm really proud of, Vice and, you know, and, and my HR colleagues and other companies, you know, that is something that we take very seriously and that, you know, that we constantly remind our employees. You can, I cannot, all I can do is offer you the benefit. I can't make you take it. It is right. here for you. It is. So we over communicate. My benefits team now does these quarterly reminders and we make them really cheeky, right? <laughs> you know, like for the summer, you know, we reminded people that we have summer Fridays and that they can take these days. And we, you know, I, I always tell people, I was like, you're not Hercules because you don't take vacation. You don't get extra prop points for not taking your <laughs> vacation points, right? Like you're not, that's what, what, you know, what's really exciting. You know, what's really, se- I, I've used this word. So I was like, you know, what's really sexy? Someone who takes all their vacation days. <laughs> I was like, that's sexy. <laughs> right? So we try to make it as cheeky. And, um, and as memorable for people as possible. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. You know, it's funny. So a question I get a lot from managers is, I don't want to become my team's therapist if they start talking to me. And so I have a question, which is, 
you know, how do I build in those boundaries so that I, I know when to turn over a problem, mm-hmm. but my, my the team member feels supported? Yeah. And also, are there legal issues that I as a manager should be aware of if I'm talking about mental health with someone on my team? I'm not, I'm not aware of any legal issues unless, obviously, if someone is claiming that they will harm themselves mm-hmm. or someone else, that's an immediate red flag. And, you know, and we coach our, our, our managers and leaders of, and, and this is a point when you have to say, you know, at this point, this is not something that I can help you with, but we have resources in the organization and I, I am going to have to, you know, call them now and take, you know, and yeah. take the right precautions. And we've done that. Goodness. The things that my team has heard and supported our, our colleagues. We had a boy who, had a, a you know has a, a teenage a teenage child who tried to commit suicide and okay. you know and this was on a weekend when we had no access to any medical provider everybody was off for the weekend and my head of benefits and I were on a call all weekend with this with this colleague and wow. we found them the right resources I I called colleagues that I knew in the state that they were in to see if we could find the right facility for the for the employee we made sure that they had all of their access to EAP and to their benefits and you know and we that was a weekend where I remember saying this to someone and they said oh you do that and I said you know this is not part of my job description but it is part of being human and caring for a colleague. So yes, I'm going to do that. This doesn't happen every weekend, but I'm going to do that. And, and obviously, I'm in a different situation than a, than a typical manager and that this is my responsibility to take care of someone. But for any manager, and I do this, and by the way, this happens, I'm also a manager, right? <laughs> I have team members. And my rule of thumb is I will listen to you. My favorite question to ask, and this was a question that um, a coach of mine taught me a while ago, but I, I like to ask my team members sometimes when I see that they're a little wobbly is, do you need me to witness, help, or distract you right now? Oh, that's a great question. Because if we get clear on that, I'm also normalizing asking what people need rather than me making mm-hmm. an assumption on what they need. Yeah. And it also creates clarity on what the expectation is from me as their manager in that moment. And sometimes they just want me to witness. And that's, so it's not about me solving for anything. It's just about them, mm-hmm. you know, just like all of us just need to <laughs> let go. And we all need that from time to time, right? When it's help, I'm like, okay, let me explain to you what I can help you with and what I'm going to need help outside of this. So are you okay with me now going to your EAP provider? Are you okay? You know, right? So it's, it's those conversations and if it's distracting, it's the same thing. I was like, hey, let's go for a walk or let's go for a virtual walk or you know, whatever that is. And I find doing that with my team helps me get very clear on how I can best help them. And, me, and to your point about me setting my boundaries, listen, we have boundaries of time with meetings, but every once in a while I'll have someone where I'll have to say, hold on a second. I need to, I need to push my next meeting so that I can make enough time for you. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. Right. And sometimes I'll have to say, I can't push this next meeting, but can we talk in two hours and see where you're at there? And it takes that level of awareness more of being able to say, you know, and I have managers all the time that will call me and go like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) You know, it's like, this just happened. I said, okay, calm down, go back to your team member and say, I've spoken to HR and someone in HR is going to get back to you so they can help you because that's their job. But I'm also here if you need me, right? And so they feel that they've been heard and they know that we're applying the right resource to help them. I think the dangerous part is when 
you overstep and you try to help without having the right resources, that's when you can get into dangerous water with someone. So I always tell, yeah. I always tell every manager and my team, I was like, I, I, my, my favorite thing to say is, you know, always bring a partner. <laughs> I was like, always bring, bring the right partner to help you. You do not need to do this alone. Right. Recall in an expert. Yes. <laughs> and then I guess the flip side is, you know, once once a team member has opened up to you about their mental health mm-hmm. and maybe it's an ongoing challenge, it, it, do you just sort of use your discretion about when to check in? Like, because oh, yeah. again, there's that tension between I want to make sure they're okay. I want to do the right thing. But also I'm not their therapist. Yeah. Like, yeah. we still have a working relationship. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're a solid manager, you're having at least a weekly check in with your team. Right. <laughs> so there's there's mm-hmm. that. And what you can do in terms of setting expectations is, you know, let's say you learn about, you know, a mental health crisis they're going through during your one-on-one or at a time that they've scheduled and said, listen, our next scheduled meeting is five days from now or six days from now. Is it okay to wait till then? Or would you like to check in before then? Mm. Right. It's, it's about normalizing what people need and creating that space and, and also that agency for someone to ask for what they help versus you assuming what they need, but also offering that support. And for some people, it's harder than for others, right? I have some team members that are, you know, sort of inside their heads and they will never ask for help. And so those are the people that I know that I need to every once in a while check in and just go, hey, just checking in. <laughs> you know, I have the others that are never afraid of asking for what they need um, and, you know, and will will be the ones coming at me. And so part of my job is to also understand my team and know what their truth is. And, and know how they want to approach that every day. It's a lot of work, Maura. The managers' jobs have become inc- incredibly complicated. We are not therapists, but we have to show evidence of care in our engagement with our teams in order to be able to build the trust and the reliability to get them to both do what they need to do and but also get them the access to the things that they may need to be able to do their work well. I also think it's fair, and you can challenge me on this, for someone who's having not obviously disabling mental illness, but for someone who's having a lot of increased anxiety or is really burnt out, is feeling very upset about the uncertainty, to manage how they communicate that to the team and to their managers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I, I find the Gen Z workers have an easier way of communicating it that it can feel, mm. it can feel grating to an exer, right? Cause they're like, Oh, here they are again telling me about how they need a mental well-being day off. Right. I was like, but you know what? They're asking for what they need. And if they're performing, right? You know, it's like if they're performing, if they're delivering for you, it's okay. Now, you know, you've got to have situational awareness. You're not going to in a team, in a wide team meeting, start opening up about something that is so tragic to you that is going to create a level of discomfort or can be even triggering for others in the group, right? So you have to, mm-hmm. you have to manage that. And that comes from experience that comes from, you know, just, you know, I think coaching, right? I, I coach my team members. Sometimes I, I have said to some of my younger team members, I was like, could you have said that in a different setting, in a different way? Um, and, you know, and they'll look at me and they're like, yeah, you're right. Right. I was like, I'm, I'm not telling them not to say it. I was like, but let's think about how that was shared. And the impact, what was the impact that you were trying to achieve? It's like, you know, were you trying to build connection with others or were you trying to feel a sense of woe is me? <laughs> you know, were you trying, you know, what, what, what were you trying to actually elicit from that comment? And taking that extra 15, 20 minutes to have that conversation with someone can be 
really illuminating, right? And and it can also help people achieve that situational awareness of like, that was probably not the right place to say that, right? Um, but in this case, this may be the right place to say. I was sharing that I, I do these, my weekly notes to my team and my senior leaders came to me and said, you know, it's great that you do these, but we'd like to do these as well with the global team. And so mm-hmm. we said, hey, why don't we just do a weekly, you know, every week, one of you do it. And so they all did it in the summer. This was the first summer they did it. And I said, you know, my notes are usually very personal, right? There's business pieces in there, but they're very much like what I'm going through, what I'm learning, what whatnot. It's like, I think what would be helpful for the global team, we have a team in over 20 countries, is for them to get to know who you are. So each of them approached their letters differently. And it was beautiful. Every single one of them said, you know, it was like one of them was, you know, their baby is their dog. And that was what they're talking about. The other was talking about their kids and summer camp. And one of them talked about, her child being bullied, cyberbullied, and how difficult that was. And I think years ago, we would have said, oh, that was probably not the right setting. It was the right setting because this was a moment of her sharing her truth with the teams. She's in a foreign country, so a lot of people don't get to engage with her. And I have to tell you the responses, to, she got the most responses from all of the emails that went out. People saying, thank you. People saying, I've experienced that or someone in my family has experienced that. It was a moment of sharing her truth in an appropriate setting that created a moment of connection. And so there's there's different moments that we can choose and that are situationally correct and and safe and you know and connected to employees where we can actually share what's going on in our lives and create space for others to share the same thing. And then there's others when you can say, maybe this is not the right moment. I'll pick a better moment. I want to just come back to uncertainty and and get your answer on this, because I think that I would imagine that now is a time that leaders really need to be stepping up and showing both their confidence in managing uncertainty, but also vulnerability. What are you seeing that works, an approach to sort of setting the stage and acknowledging these are very uncertain times how do the managers approach that uncertainty conversation? I'll tell you, we've got good practice now in the last two and a half years. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we, were, we were not good at this two and a half years ago. No. We have very, like, I, I will argue, you know, like two and a half years ago, I was doing a lot of talking points for managers. I'm not doing as many of them now <laughs> because, that's you know, because, because they have, you know, we've, we've been through this. And it's the same thing that we've been saying for the last two and a half years. You have to communicate clearly, directly, and often. Now it is far more essential than ever for teams to be clear on what is expected of them and why they work in organizations and for what. Mm-hmm. I do that often with my team. We just did a special enrollment for benefits for our teams following the NOMS decision because we had a lot of employees that were incredibly concerned about you know, the future of their reproductive health care would be if they are living in states that, that are in precarious positions there. And so we said, well, we're going to create a special enrollment plan for a week. And you can choose if you're not in our benefits, get in our benefits or get some of your dependents or whatnot. And we just did that. And my team, our head of benefits just sent me today the stats. And we had a really sizable number of folks who opted into the benefits plan for the first time or added dependents or changed benefits. And I just wrote back to them and said, moments like this, this is what reminds us of why we do what we do. 
And we have to use these moments to remind our teams as well. So can you please send that in the next weekly note? Because there's someone else that's sending the next weekly note. Send that to the team and remind them, this is why we do what we do. So in those days where we're Mm -hmm. feeling overwhelmed and exhausted and depleted and like nobody cares about HR, everyone's blaming us for everything, all these things. Like remember, (laughs) it's like we're changing lives. We're helping support people, helping people in their most vulnerable moments to live the lives that they want to live and the careers that they deserve. And so that's what it looks like. It's that constant communication. It's that empowering your team members, right, to be accountable for the work and to do the work. And when you empower people to do their work, when you get out, basically I call it get out of their way. My job is to get out of the way of my teens. My job is to help reduce the obstacles for what they need to do, but it's not to get in their way. And when you're able to both, you know, have that clarity of what expectations are and, you know, and purpose and let people do what they do without any obstacles, that's what we all hope for in our workplace. This is, this is the magic sauce. If we can do that, then, then we create spaces where people can just bring their real selves to the workplace, which is what we've been telling people for decades to do. And they can do what they need to do at the pace that they can do it and feel that sense. We all want to feel satisfied in our work. We all want to feel that, you know, that we're valued, that we're seen, that we're respected. That's what, that's what we have to do. Yes. That's what we want. My last question is, you've written about co-creating the new world of work. What does that mean? Oh my goodness. I'll tell you this. Two and a half years ago, we experienced the, you know, one of the biggest changes to what work, you know, what the workplace was going to look like, right? The pandemic just shifted everything in our, in our world. And over the last two years, we have seen the biggest renegotiation of work that we could, you know, we've ever experienced. And it's been driven mostly by employees, but we've been used to work being negotiated by employers. I believe that co-creation of the future of work is going to be both with the employee and the employer, right? The renegotiation of work hasn't been about how many days I want to be at work. It's been about power. It's been about balancing the power that has been for so long, so heavily skewed in one direction. And what I've seen in the last two years has been that it's now it's like, oh, it's all about the employee. And now we're starting to see a little bit of a rebalancing with the softening of the economy. And what I was mentioning to you earlier is that my worry is that employers are going to now say, ha we've got the power again, mm. <laughs> right? You know, it's like, let's, you know, let's, let's keep this imbalance going. I think that the, the right equation for future of work is a co-creation where employees and employers listen to each other, ask and demand what they each need from each other and find the middle grounds because there has to be a middle ground. You know, I tell employees all the time, I'm never going to be able to get you everything that you want because at the end of the day, this is a business <laughs> that needs to achieve on margins, that needs to achieve on a P&L. And if I give you everything that you're asking me for right now, I'm sacrificing this. But what I can get you is X, Y, Z, right? We can find a middle ground. And half of the time, if not more and more, what employees value is being heard and being acknowledged. And knowing that something is getting a little better based on their perspective and point of view. And what employers want is 
really big margins, right? <laughs> you know, healthy balance sheets, healthy P&Ls. And if we can find that middle ground for that, I, I believe that that is a healthy future of work. I love it. Daisy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for having these important conversations. That's it for today's show. Our show is produced and edited by Mary Duke. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to the LinkedIn Presents family, to all of our guests for sharing their stories, and to our advertisers who bring you the show. If you love The Anxious Achiever, tell your friends. Subscribe, leave a review, follow us. You can also tweet me at MauraAM or find me on LinkedIn, where you can follow me, message me, or subscribe to my newsletter for more from the Anxious Achiever world. Thanks for listening.